This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And we want to start off this month with holding space to honor all of you who have lost a pregnancy or infant at any stage and at any age, and to also honor the lives of the children that you lost and hoped for. This is an incredible amount of pain, and it is very difficult for anyone who's never been through it to imagine, but certainly anyone who has compassion can offer their sympathy and their support. Oftentimes, the road for a lost parent and a lost family is confusing and isolating and can feel very lonely. Sometimes there's a lot of support right around the time of the loss of the pregnancy or infant. And then over time, it can feel like support kind of drops off. But from the countless women and families that I've heard from and talked to, that loss never really goes away. And frankly, there is no timeline for grief. And there is no one right way to grieve. So please know that I am honoring you and your loss and your process of grief in whatever way. In our episode today, we are going to be talking with a lost mom, and she's going to be sharing her experience with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome that resulted in the loss of her daughter. Sarah Arcada is an artist and an educator. She lives on the East Coast, north of Boston. You can find her exploring tide pools with her two children, ages You can find her exploring tide pools with her two living children, ages three and six, or making art. She is an advocate for arts education, working on her master's degree in leadership and education. She met the love of her life while attending art school in Boston. Shortly after meeting, they married and had their first child. A few years later, she became pregnant with twins. And that's where her story today begins. Sharing her story of loss, postpartum depression, and recovery, she hopes to bring awareness to a serious condition affecting twin pregnancies called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. She will tell us more about what that is. Through her difficult pregnancy and living with grief, she's found meditation and mindfulness, and she wants to share her journey of personal care and discovery with other women, specifically those who may have lost a child. 
After the birth and death of her daughter, she started to experience postpartum depression, anxiety, and PTSD. She would like to bring awareness to twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome and offer hope to mothers who may struggle with grief. For those of you listening who find that this topic is too sensitive to listen to at this time, please know that we are here and you can come back to us at any time. It is very important in your own loss journey to gauge for yourself what you feel ready to listen to, and we honor that. Let's meet Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to have you on to talk about this really difficult topic. We haven't had a somebody share their story of this so far, so I know it will be very, very great for listeners who've gone through this to hear that they're not alone and hear how you got through your experience. So please do start wherever you think you'd like to for your story. Okay. Well, I guess we can start at 14 weeks where I found out that I was pregnant with Modi twins, which are identical twins that share a placenta, but they have separate sex. So at 14 Mm -hmm. weeks, I was told I was pregnant with twins and that was quite a shock. And then 16 weeks later, or two weeks later at 16 weeks, I went in and that's when the fetal medicine doctor told me that uh, my twins and I are suffering from twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Okay. which is it's a, a disease that affects identical twins. It is rare, but occurs in one in 10. So that was, that's when this roller coaster of emotions begins, fear, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Can you, for people who are just learning about this, can you explain a little bit about what twin to twin transfusion syndrome is and, and what it does to, to you and your babies? Yes. So as I mentioned, um, it affects uh, modi pregnancies, which is identical twin pregnancies. Twins share a placenta but have separate amniotic sacs. When the placenta is being formed, the vessels of the placenta are not shared equally. Mm-hmm. So in this case, one twin receives too many nutrients and too much of the vessels and the other twin does not have enough. Mm-hmm. And so in twin to twin transfusion syndrome, there is a donor baby and a recipient baby. The donor baby is the baby that is not receiving enough nutrients. Mm-hmm. And therefore the recipient baby is getting too many mm-hmm. nutrients mm-hmm. to kind of simplify, mm-hmm. simplify it. Yeah. Thank you for that. So this, results in extreme differences in amniotic fluid. Mm-hmm. It can also affect the development of the organs and, and so on. So while I was pregnant with the twins, I was very uncomfortable because of the difference in amniotic fluid between the sex. So I had too much mm-hmm. in one sack and not enough in the other. Mm-hmm. I was being monitored twice a week, going to ultrasounds twice a week, mm. living every day, every moment of every day in fear and anxiety and wondering what is going to happen, what is going to happen to me, what is going to happen to my babies, what is the outlook right. for this? Right. Twin to twin transfusion can be very unpredictable. Mm. So it is literally day to day because it can flip, it can change. 
there are four stages. So stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. It's, 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 and so we were at stage one and we were steady at stage one for quite a while. And there were moments where I felt, okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be good. This is okay. We can deal with this. We're going to be good. Yeah. And then the next week, the next ultrasound, there's changes. Wow. Wow, that sounds really already off the bat. I mean, scary, like you said, and just anxiety producing all the time if if things are changing that frequently. Yes. So that went on for a while. I've had I had to have amniotic reduction because mm. I was just so big and so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So that was one step. And the fluid just came right back, just came right back. And that was had me feeling very, very hopeless mm-hmm. and very worried. It's the so next During this time, I, I kind of assume that you're not doing much else other than just trying to take care of yourself. You know, like, are, are you able to, if you worked outside of the home, were you able to work? Or if you were at home, were you able to, to do stuff at home? Dr. Cat, I could not do anything. And it mm-hmm. was, it was, it was terrible because I had a three-year-old at home and I could not go back to work. Mm-hmm. I was so ill and so uncomfortable. And I just remember just laying on the couch and my three-year-old sitting in the living room on playing on the floor and just feeling so guilty that mm-hmm. I could not be the mom I wanted to be for him in that moment because I was suffering. Gosh. It's so hard. There's like nothing, n- nothing you can do, but, but hope. Yeah. Mm. And so there is a surgery that can be done called laser ablation surgery, which it, it blows my mind. They somehow they go in with a very small tool and they go in and they sever the, une- they sever some of the vessels and the placenta and they cauterize them and so this was the next thing. This was our last shot to go in there and try and save our babies because we didn't know if one would survive or if, if both would survive. And mm-hmm. like, as I said, it was very unpredictable. So you have to kind of take every measure that you can. Right, right. So it was Halloween and I went to Brown University in Rhode Island and had laser ablation done. and. <laughs> I spent one day healing and the next day was when they brought up the ultrasound. They brought up this, the ultrasound to see if they can find a heartbeat on the babies. Mm-hmm. How far along were you at that this point? I was 22 weeks. Okay. And so they, thank God they found both heartbeats mm-hmm. and we thought, Okay, we're good. Once again, we're good. We're in a, mm-hmm. we're in a place of goodness. Right. And we were there for maybe a week and then things started turn, turning for the worst again. Oh no. The recipient baby, her heart was being strained because she was receiving so much fluid oh, and gosh. her heart was straining to pump all of it. And at 25 weeks, I went in for my ultrasound and they said, we need to monitor you. You need to go in now. And I packed my bags and we went in and they sat us down and they said, this is what you're looking at, at giving birth at 25 weeks. And they had to sign a DNR and it was very, very difficult and very hard. And I looked at my husband and I said, no, we need to make it to 28 weeks. Mm-hmm. We need to make it to 28 weeks because there is quite a vast difference, even though 
the three weeks makes is such a vast difference mm-hmm. in sure. the viability of the babies and their health. Yeah. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. So your, your doctors were, uh, were supporting you to to keep them in as long as possible at that point? They were. They were supportive in that. They respected that and they were supportive of that. Mm-hmm. But at 28 weeks and one day and I went in for my ultrasound, that's when that's when they said, okay, mm-hmm. it's time now. Because mm-hmm. as I mentioned, the recipient baby, her, her heart was being strained so much and fluid was starting to build up oh, gosh. around the organs. And it was, yeah. And at this moment, you're just in like go and survival mode and you're almost not even processing all of that's going on. You're just doing what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you're in. You're kind of like go mode, survival mode, just trying to get through this. Yeah. Yeah. And, And then the next phase is at 28 weeks. And one day we had the emergency C section and gave birth to the two babies. And our our donor baby, baby A, and she she lived 45 minutes after birth, and that was it, and she was gone. Mm-hmm. And our recipient baby, baby B, I just call them that now. Obviously, they have names. I don't call them baby A and baby B. Mm-hmm. But just for sake of, of this, our recipient baby, baby B, she went straight up to the NICU. And mm-hmm. they stitched me up really fast and they said, you need to go see your daughter. And this was baby A, Liliana. Mm. And they rolled me up, just stitched, rolled me right up to the NICU. 
And there was Liliana and they put her in my arms. And that's when she, that's when she left us and passed away. Sorry. Um, Wow. So, I mean, you've just, you had just been through so much. This is a whirlwind. And I mean, can you describe a little bit about how you were feeling through all that, if, if you can recall? Yeah, just this heightened sense of fear and anxiety all the time. Yeah. And survival mode, just adrenaline and stress chemicals just pumping through my body during this whole ordeal because living every day and not knowing, you know, are they going to survive? How are we getting, how are we going to get through this? So it was this constant heightened level and survival mode, just, just working off the adrenaline and just keep going and doing what we need to do. Mm -hmm. And it didn't slow down because now we had our daughter in the NICU and fighting for her life. Right. I mean, so I, I imagine in some ways it's, I mean, your attention it probably split at least between both babies and you're just trying to, you know, it's not like you can wrap your head around what's happening. Yeah, it was really, it was split because it was now I need to be strong and, and be there for, for Cecilia in the NICU, but I want to just sit and feel and mourn and grieve. And I didn't allow myself to do that because I needed to be there and be strong, be strong for my family, my husband and my, my three-year-old son and for Cecilia. And so I didn't allow myself that those moments to just grieve and feel. And I remember sitting in the NICU holding Cecilia and just thinking, I don't feel anything. I feel numb. Right, right, absolutely. It would be it would be hard to feel much then, or to be present because it sounds pretty traumatizing. Yeah, yeah, and so eighty five days later, she was in she was in the NICU, and they were still kind of wondering what was going to happen the next day. Is she going to be okay? Waiting for the phone to ring, mm. waiting to hear, and. So there, it was. It was still that heightened sense of of survival and and fear and anxiety, but it was a little different now. And then eighty five days later, she was beautiful and healthy, and she came home. And that's when everything just mm. it was like a tsunami. Just everything just came at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So this is. You know, in terms of people who experience loss and grief and trauma in this way, it's like you're you can't really feel your feelings until everything's safe or safer, safe enough. And so, getting home for you was was kind of that. Yeah, it wasn't right away mm-hmm. because there was settling in and making sure that everything was safe and and good at home. But it wasn't right away. But then it started creeping up and I was starting to have some major anxiety and rage and depression. Yeah. And those things, looking back, I can see that because I wasn't processing the grief and the stress that it started manifesting itself in these other ways, in these ways mm-hmm. of, of rage, like this yeah. rage that was coming out of me that I had no idea where it was coming from. And I felt so out of control. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Rage is a really, really, one of the really challenging ones to deal with because it does feel so big. And certainly if you haven't had any of those feelings before, it can feel scary too. Yeah, absolutely. This episode is supported by Ritual. We deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies and why. That's why Ritual's founder is on a mission to reinvent the vitamin industry. Ritual left out mystery additives, synthetic fillers, and shady extras that can be found in some traditional multivitamins. You know how I know? Because you can see all of the ingredients in these vitamins, and they come with a little pamphlet that shows you exactly what you're getting. So whenever I take a Ritual vitamin, I can be rest assured that I know what I'm putting in my body. Ritual is making obsessively researched and clinically backed a new normal. Their clinical study of Essential for Women showed an increase in vitamin D levels and omega-3 DHA levels. And to boot, their delayed-release, no-nausea-designed capsule is made to be gentle on an empty stomach. Daily changes can lead to big results, so start small today. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Try it out, satisfaction guaranteed. Go to ritual.com slash momandmind to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash momandmind. So um, what were the, you were saying, like you started doing these these things, these kind of behaviors. What was happening? Oh, when we got home? Yeah. After I took her home? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know. Some certain behaviors and things didn't start happening right away. Mm-hmm. So what happened for you when you, you were feeling this rage? What did you, what did you do with that? What was the result of that? Yeah. Stuffing it down again, you know, feeling this rage and at times lashing out at my poor husband or, you know, my son and just lashing out in ways that just weren't appropriate or, or, or appropriate for the way that I would handle situations. So it was very foreign to me and I would just stuff it down and stuff it down and it wouldn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. The rage, it would keep bubbling up to the surface and it would keep showing its its head above the surface, even though I keep trying to push it down and push it down until I try, I, I have to do something. I need to do something for myself. And I started I started drinking more Mm. and the drinking, sometimes it was a way to feel something else. It was, it was a way to like not feel anything or something else. Right. And, but that didn't solve anything. And Mm -hmm. I got tired of doing that and I got tired of drinking more and, and just sitting with these feelings and not knowing what to do with them. And then these feelings manifesting into depression. And so uh, but I how had to long, make a change. How long were you in that kind of process from the time you brought your daughter home until reaching this point? How many months postpartum were you? I, I'd say that I didn't start feeling myself or close to anything that resembled myself for almost a year. Oh, yeah. It's a long time. It sounds like a lot of suffering I, for a long time. Yeah. I should also mention that while this was going on, shortly after Liliana passed away, my father died unexpectedly. Oh, gosh. Six days later after oh, I had just goodness. lost my daughter. Wow. And so that was also 
something that was there that needed to be processed and grieved. And mm-hmm. I couldn't, he was in California and I'm in Boston and I had just had major surgery with a C-section and my daughter was in the NICU and I couldn't go to California to oh, see him. Right. He was in a coma and I could not, I could not go. And yeah. that guilt, now there was guilt on top of everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's an incredible amount of high, high stress and grief and feeling, you know, out of control, feeling like things are out of control. And yeah, and that's probably why it took me a while to kind of come back around to myself because yeah. everything just kept compounding one on top of the other. Right, right. So quickly in a way that it, w- it would be hard to really even know, like, like I said before, wrap your head around what's going on, let alone try and deal with any of it. Yeah. So so then the grief uh, from the loss of your daughter and the loss of your father are all mixed up in this postpartum period where you're also just hoping that your other daughter stays alive and tr- surviving, just you trying to survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an incredible... And take care of my three-year-old. Oh, gosh. Sure. Right. So how was it? You had mentioned before that you kind of just felt like numb, you know, in the NICU. Did it take a while to feel connected to your daughter or daughters? Yeah, it's a work in progress. It really is. It's just this has become part of my work. It never, it's never solved. It never goes away. It is part of the process. It's part of of who I am and my life now is, you know, navigating through, through what happened and, and how, and how to communicate that and help my daughter who Mm. lost her twin. Mm. And so she, in a way, is grieving and will grieve and we will grieve together. And now she's she's going to be four. That process hasn't completely started for her where she's able to communicate and we're able to talk about it. Yeah. So that's going to become part of the story as well. Mm. I continue to work work on this process of healing and, and integrating it into who I am and into the life of my family. Right. Obviously, this isn't what you wanted or expected or envisioned that you would be dealing with in your life. And now, now, I mean, it is a lot of work to try and, and grieve and have it integrate all of that, this into that it, it has happened and it is a part of your life and honor, honor your, your daughter who passed. Um, and it sounds like, um, can, can I ask, are you getting help? professionally or are you doing this on your own? I've tried to find some uh, some help professionally and as recently I had someone I was working with but because of COVID happening I wasn't able to meet with her mm. and then finding the time at home to meet in quiet and peace to yeah. it just wasn't really working anymore. Mm-hmm. Most of the time I this has been a process that I've been working on on my own mm-hmm. and I have now have some tools that I use to to help the process along and to help heal. It's been almost four years where I've been trying to figure out how how I can move forward. So the, the grief yeah. for you, I imagine, still feels very raw? Yeah, at times, definitely. Mm-hmm. 
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Right. And I appreciate what you said earlier, that this is not really something you just don't think about anymore. You don't get over. The grief and the loss is part of your life, and you're trying to figure out how to live with it. Yeah. Right. And And still have your other kids. Yeah. And still have, you know, that because I think I was at such a high level of stress and survival mode and anxiety with the twin to twin transfusion syndrome, Mm -hmm. because it's very unpredictable. And I think because I was at such a high level like that for so long after the birth and with, with the NICU experience that I've almost haven't quite been able to get myself back down to the level where I was before. And I don't know if I'll ever get back down to that way prior to this happening, but I can use that to better my life and to take up habits and do things that can enrich my life and that can help just explore these feelings more and Mm -hmm. this experience. Right. So you were mentioning um, before that there was uh, like a a period of drinking more heavily and drinking a lot to, I assume, kind of numb out and, and, and like you said, feel other things. So it sounds like there was a point at which you, you realized that you couldn't do that anymore or you didn't want to. Yeah, I just didn't want, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore and I didn't want to, and it wasn't doing me any favors and it's been a process. But the first step, was there was a meditation center in our neighborhood. And one day I said, I'm going to go there and Mm -hmm. I'm going to see what I can find. Mm -hmm. And that in itself just blew open so many doors for me. Just having that tool, that, that tool of meditation, it allowed me to sit in stillness 
and to actually feel Mm -hmm. instead of pushing it away and numbing with alcohol and all of that, the meditation was a, a way for me to just sit in stillness and to have compassion and to feel. That's and that was the first step in, in healing was to yeah. actually feel. Mm-hmm. Were you feeling the loss, feeling the grief or lots of other things too? Feeling loss, feeling grief, feeling, why did this happen to me? This is so unfair. Feeling guilt, mm-hmm. feeling why a big, a big part of it was why did this happen? Right. Why? Right. And so, yeah, all of that. So, uh, I mean, that's an amazing space to be able to get to, to, to allow yourself to feel and have compassion as well. How did that yeah. compassion for yourself help? It helps tremendously because as a mother and as a woman, and th- when things go wrong with, with birth, even though it may completely be out of your control, twin to twin is completely out of my control. Mm-hmm. You still have a sense that I did something wrong. It's because uh-huh. of me. It's and you still feel guilty because you feel like you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And having that self-compassion was really important in that that aspect because it made me feel like I didn't do anything wrong and to love myself because this happened to me too. Right. And that it wasn't my fault. And the the self-compassion is what made me turn around and realize this was not my fault. Oh, that's beautiful. I went through this too. Right, right. That's, that's just such a more gentle approach to healing than, you know, trying to judge yourself through and, and being harsh with yourself. That that never leads to healing. But this softness and compassion that you found sounded super powerful and just what you needed. Yeah, yeah. So you've been using meditation and, and mindfulness as well in part of your healing journey? Yes, and obviously creativity because I'm an artist. So that that really helps as well. The, the Finding some sort of creative outlet has been very important for me too because it also gives me a sense of myself, a sense of self. Mm. And it's relaxing and healing. Um, that's fantastic. What kind of art do you use or, or do you like that helps you feel better? Um, I, yeah, I use whatever... I'm pulled into different directions. So whatever art making material feels appropriate at the moment. So I just sort of go in many different directions. Currently, I'm incorporating writing and painting, which is really nice because I'm able to find some poems and and writings that help to deepen the creative process. But yeah. That's great. So you you have um, having that outlet um, is like literally at your fingertips for you and something you can go to whenever you need. Yeah, if I can just um, peel away from <laughs> the family, which is really hard, but sometimes I, I do and I go into my bedroom and I lock the door and I have mm-hmm. my easel set up and they know the mom's upstairs and the door's locked. And so... <laughs> And that takes some practice because right. not everybody cooperates. So it's, that <laughs> right. is also a work in progress to yeah. carve out that time that I need because that time is really precious for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I just love that you have figured out how to incorporate these things for yourself and, and how important healing is and how important you are in terms of, you know, get, well, just in general, but also that you need this 
this healing as well. I mean, it impacted you, it impacted your family. But to your point earlier, because these things happen in your body, it's hard to not feel, you know, that guilt and pressure that somehow somehow you had something to do with this. But your outlets have helped you anchor outside of yourself to know that to know that the healing is out is available to you. Yeah. And to find every every and any outlet you can possibly find. I mean, sometimes I use essential oils because that's what feels right and what I need. And mm-hmm. so any and everything mm-hmm. right. you just put together your toolbox to whatever you you need in the moment. Absolutely. So you, obviously you have been through so much and learned so much along the way and you still are in your healing journey. What would you say to other people who've lost a child in this way or dealt with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome? What would be your, your message for them? One thing that I would say is that that this is, yes, a very difficult and heartbreaking, stressful experience, but it's also to look at it in a way that this is something that will also enrich your life and that you will grow from and it will help to inform who you are and the kind of family that you raise by turning it around and creating strength Mm -hmm. from a situation that can be hard Mm -hmm. and to dig up and to find that strength and it's there and it might, you might have to work on it, but once you do, it will create, it will make it will color your life and make everything a little bit more enriching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that is the hope, right? Uh, to come out of something so painful and confusing and to to find some richness in it. Yeah, that, that is what that is what healing is about, right? You, you didn't ask for this, certainly didn't expect it, but well, what you're doing with your healing and your healing journey is is beautiful, and, and it sounds like you are reaching that that depth of understanding and and growth for yourself and healing. I'm so glad glad that you made it through and that you're in the process of healing. Thank you so much. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good. Thank you again so much for coming to share your story with us. I know that there are people out there that will just be so glad to know that they are not alone um, because this is such such an isolating thing to go through. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you again, Sarah, for sharing your story with us and for bringing this information into the light and raising the volume on these conditions so that we can be educated and we can be aware and seek the help, resources, and healing that we need. For any of you out there who've experienced this condition or if you know of anyone who has experienced twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome and grief and loss and the and the many struggles that can come after that, please do share this episode with them if you feel that it could be helpful. What we know is that grieving doesn't have to be private if you don't need or want it to be. Sure, a lot of people might not know how to handle the information or handle the news or know the right thing to say, but if you are somebody who's grieving, that doesn't mean you can't find and look for people who can understand you and give you the support that you deserve. The more we talk about this, the more we break the stigma, the more that you all know that there is help available and there are people who want to support you and help you through your grief journey, the better off we will all be. My heart goes out to all of you who are grieving the loss of a child. I thank you for being with us today. Until next time. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.